Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast. As always, we appreciate our listeners from around the United States and around the world. Our discussion today is twofold, millennials in public relations and public relations in higher education. My guest today is Brittany Smith, a millennial herself. She is the Senior Public Relations Officer at the College of Literature, Science, and the Arts at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor, where she joins us from today. Brittany leads and supports PR campaigns for the University of Michigan's largest college, From the announcement of the college's new dean to the grand opening of the University of Michigan Museum of Natural History's new $260 million facility to the launch of a scholarship program for first-generation low-income students. She works closely with her team to tell the story of literature, science, and arts to the public at large, local, national, and international media. Brittany has nearly a decade of experience in higher education and nonprofit communications. This experience has earned placements in various media outlets, including National Public Radio, The Chronicle of Higher Education, The Detroit Free Press, The Financial Times, and The Associated Press. A Detroit native, Brittany graduated from Michigan State University with a bachelor's degree in journalism and earned her master's degree in Public Relations and Organizational Communications from Wayne State University. Brittany, welcome to the program. Hi, Peter. Thank you for having me on here. I'm very excited and grateful to be speaking with you this evening. Well, good. Uh, Since we mentioned millennials and you are a millennial, so what are millennials looking for in a public relations career? Sure thing. So I think that as a millennial, we're looking for a few things. Um, Of course, we're looking for work-life balance. Um, I think we're also looking for um, places where we can work that allow us to um, be multifaceted, uh, where we're able to um, create strategy and we're able to write as well as doing PR and media relations work. And I think we're looking for uh, places that understand the value of public relations I think that I'm fortunate enough to work at a place where people get it, um, but I know that that's not always the case. And um, especially working in higher ed, you know, sometimes you may um, encounter folks who uh, see PR as a one-size-fits-all sort of space, and that's just not um, true. Um, But being able to work in a space where people understand, um, you know, the value of PR and understanding that, You know, everything may not be newsworthy, but we can try and dig deep and find those nuggets that we can share out and promote um, to the general public. So those are just a few things that I um, think of when we talk about what do millennials want in PR. Well, when you mention those things, how do you suggest that the millennials go about identifying places that do have those kinds of uh, 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 work uh, things that they can do to meet those demands and needs? That's a great question. I think, for one, you definitely have to research. 
um, research different places that you might be interested in working in. Um, that was one of the things that I did when I was looking um, to work in higher ed. Uh, what places would be great for me to really be able to um, foster my talents and really showcase my skill set? Um, being able to talk to people and building uh, relationships with people. Relationship building is so important in PR and being able to have mentors and peers that you can connect with and reach um, to be able to help you foster your craft. Um, so those are just a few things that come to mind for sure. Well, now millennials are looking for certain things now in terms of their bringing certain skills because millennials, Pierre uh, encompasses a lot. And so I'm wondering if when millennials are going through their preparation and are they looking at all of the communications channel? Of, of course, and I'm sure for the millennial population, they focus on social media. But you know, mm-hmm. yes, newspapers are still viable communications channels. Television is still there. Radio is still there. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and a few others. Uh, do they continue to prepare themselves using all of those channels? Because depending upon the audience you're trying to reach, some of those channels are going to be necessary in the planning. Mm-hmm. Yes, I definitely think that we should use all sorts of channels, whether it's traditional, whether it's social media, whether it's broadcasting, just to make sure that you're well-rounded um, in this space. Um, because when you're interacting with uh, journalists, you're not just interacting with journalists who are millennials, right? So you're dealing with um, you know, veteran journalists who may prefer to communicate you know, in person or they may prefer to communicate via phone. Um, I think it's important just to make sure that you tap into all of those different channels. But I will say that uh, social media is definitely um, one channel that I use a lot of when it comes to promoting different news announcements and when it comes to reaching out to journalists. Um, I noticed that a lot of them use Twitter, for instance, to um, you know get news tips. And they're like, hey, I'm looking to speak with a few students who are from a rural community who go to U of M. You know, who can I reach out to? So I definitely um, would say, you know, utilize all of the different channels, whether it's print, whether it's broadcast, just to make sure that you're well-rounded. But I would definitely say I'm a bit biased in this space as well, um, because I do tend to use a lot of uh, social media when it comes to PR and to definitely um, use that route as well. You know, when I when I look at, uh, you know, as I read in your introduction here, uh, the announcement of the uh, <clears throat> pardon me, University of Michigan's uh, a Museum of Natural History. Well, the mm-hmm. audience for that are the people who would like to know about that, are, I would say, across the age spectrum and a lot of other spectrums. So in reaching out to those people, tell me about the channels that you use to get this information in front of potential uh, uh, that potential audience. Sure thing. Well, I would say, for one, you know, I'm fortunate to work in a space where we have resources to reach out to people, um, whether it's PR, whether it's uh, print, whether it's web. And so we were able to reach out to various audiences using those different channels. Um, As far as PR was concerned, we definitely utilized the digital aspect of things and the web. So we posted a news release on the website. 
Um, we did outreach to journalists. I called a few of them. I emailed them and pitched them the idea that we were having this grand opening and this was a pretty big deal. Why don't you come out and cover it? Um, and definitely use social media as well to reach out to um, different journalists in the local area. Um, but like I mentioned as well, we also had, you know, print materials that we posted throughout the Ann Arbor community. We posted materials on buses, um, light poles, things of that nature. So it wasn't just, um, you know, web or just digital. We definitely um, reached out through different channels as well, including print. Now, in and, and this can apply almost anywhere in making that announcement, as you said, making it uh, what I call media worthy, were there mm-hmm. some special uh, uh, displays in this uh, new museum that uh, attracted attention? Maybe there's only one or two in the world. You have to have one of them or here's something, especially for the younger generation. Here's something that um, uh, we just got uh, on loan to us from some museum in Europe, something along those lines to really heighten it rather than it's here, come see it. Here's what we have in here for you to see. Mm-hmm. So we had a few exhibits that were brand new. Um, we had a discovery lab that you know was for school children that they could go and interact and actually speak with um, the faculty who work in the museum and talk to them, and it was just really interactive. Um, we also had um, a dinosaur known as a quet, which was humongous, and so we really. Um, from an image perspective, kind of use that as um, a way to attract different audiences. And the building itself, because it was, you know, a brand new building and it took a couple of years in the making, I think that really um, captured people's attention. And people just love the museum anyway. Um, You know, they would go there as kids, their parents would go there as kids. And so it was kind of this um, nostalgia aspect of it that we really were able to tap into. but we definitely um, try to promote the building and um, some of the exhibits inside as well. Well, uh, and, and, and again, uh, when we talk about millennials, what sort of things interest them? I mean, would there have to be a special attraction in a Museum of Natural History for millennials? Uh, help me understand, other than just the fact that you have a dinosaur and a nice building, would there be mm-hmm. some things that would help them that you know that they would like to see and hear and, and experience in a, in a museum? Well, we really tried to broadcast the fact that the museum was very interactive and it was a place where students could learn and really do their research and promote their research and work with faculty on different projects that they may have going on. So that was something that we really tried to um, you know, attract uh, millennials with and just the fact that this is a space where you can learn that you can really, um, you know, work on your science projects that you can collaborate uh, with faculty with. So just trying to really um, promote that whole collaborative, engaging aspect of the building and of the museum, because it's actually inside of a biological sciences building. And so they were able to, you know, not only see the museum, but they were also able to work and learn um, within the biological sciences building as well. Okay. So getting back to preparation for millennials, in terms of uh, the School of Communications 
and particularly in public relations, are they still encouraging people to, you know, understand that that television is a medium, how to prepare, how to pitch people, uh, uh, not people, but pitch reporters or assignment desk uh, to cover a story? Do they still go through that exercise in, uh, in undergraduate school? Well, it's been a while since I've been an undergrad, but I would say um, that they do. But I definitely think that the, you know, social media aspect has really, um, you know, taken precedent over television and just traditional just because so many journalists utilize, you know, Twitter, for instance, to really, um, you know, get stories out there and to get story ideas. Mm -hmm. So I would say that, um, you know, social media, if anything, is really kind of taking a precedent over that. Okay. All right. Well, let's shift now. That now you had mentioned uh, that you are obviously you are in higher education, and and you needed uh, public relations specifically for uh, this uh, natural history museum. So, what are some of the other concerns or issues or that you've seen in higher education related public relations that could use some improvement or need some adjustments of some kind? Sure. So I a few challenges that we face as PR professionals in higher ed. Um, one is just getting people to see and understand the value of public relations. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm fortunate enough to work at a place where um, I feel like people understand it, they get it, but we know that that's not always the case. And so um, for situations where that's not the case, making folks understand that, you know, everything is not necessarily newsworthy just because you're working on, you know, a research project about, you know, something doesn't necessarily make it timely. And so being able to work and build partnerships um, within the university with whether it's administrators or faculty members or staff and really being able to um, establish a relationship where we can ask those questions, you know, is this timely? Does this impact a great number of people? Is it relatable to a general audience? You know, being able to ask those questions and kind of brainstorm and strategize, um, I think that's very important. And I know a lot of times that's not always the case in higher ed. Um, I think another a challenge is just being able to keep up with an evolving higher ed landscape. You know, right now, I feel like affordability and access and um, the issue around free speech and, you know, diversity are kind of top issues, right, that come to mind. But will that change next year or two years from now? You know, so you have to constantly keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on in higher education and just being able to just remain on top of it, you know, making sure that you're reading, you know, various news outlets and, you know, keeping in contact with higher ed reporters to find out what exactly are they talking about? What are they covering? What are they interested in? And then another thing that comes to mind is just building and maintaining relationships with higher ed journalists. I found to be kind of a challenge because, you know, unfortunately, journalists are doing more with less. And oftentimes with a lot of outlets, there's only one higher ed reporter that's covering all of the universities. Um, and so they're kind of stretched out thin. So in that case, I have to be more creative and thoughtful when I'm pitching to them, right? So I have to you know, make sure that I'm providing them useful factoids, that I'm responsive to them, um, you know, providing multimedia assets, whether that's the video that we've produced or, 
um, imagery or, you know, something of that nature and just making sure that when I am pitching to them that I keep it short, simple and straightforward because, you know, a lot of times they're bombarded with emails. So you want to make sure that, you know, when you're pitching to them, that it's something that will pique their interest and make them want to open the actual email and um, making sure to just stay in contact with them and maintaining those relationships. And like I said, it can be a bit of a challenge too because the turnover can be so high. So like I said, just making sure that you're keeping in contact with them and, and maintaining those relationships with them as well as their editor as well. Well, you know, somewhat of a relatable experience. Uh, when I worked for Congress, one of the things that uh, helped me uh, get a lot of stories in place was to make sure that I gave that reporter everything they needed for that story. Uh, because legislation is can, can be, be, be very, very dull. And I have mm-hmm. to be able to answer the question, oh, well, and, and then you've got some journalists who might, uh, you know, obviously you've got uh, those who are, are trade people or who know that subject matter. That's one thing. But for the general assignment reporter, you've got to give it all that to them. You know, here's the story. Here's the senator. Uh, here's mm-hmm. some photos. Here's some some other things, graph charts, and so forth. So mm-hmm. the story is complete, uh, yeah. and and they don't have to work as hard. the The other thing, particularly having been a VP of communications at a university, uh, those professors, you're absolutely right. They're in there working their little buns off to uh, get whatever it is they're doing, and it's nice, and bright, and shiny. But nobody understands it. So part of the first thing that has to happen is that they have to be able to explain, and you have to has to be able to explain to the public, what's in it for me? Answer the so what question. You, you put together this whiz-bang thing, but so what? So if you can't really answer that, the, <clears throat> pardon me, the, the, the traction doesn't get there with the general public because they don't understand it. Right. And that's something that I'm always keeping in mind when I'm reaching out to reporters about a story idea does this have an impact on people? Like, how, why, why would they care about this? Why should they care about this? You know, is it relatable? Um, and so I'm always just keeping that in mind and making sure, you know, that part of my job as a public relations professional is to make the journalist's job a little bit easier. Absolutely. So like you said, you know, providing them as much information, all of the information that I can so that they can write the story um, in a very thoughtful and, and well-written way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I find that they're very appreciative of that. And another thing that I like to do as well as, um, you know, in addition to pitching and, and providing them information, you know, I like to set up introductory meetings um, the beginning of the school year, sometimes in the summer, just to kind of build that familiarity with them. And so, for instance, you know, we have a new dean on board and, you know, one of the things that we wanted to do was have her connect with local journalists in advance um, just so that they know her face and she can talk about the different um, things that we have going on at LSA and our priorities and, you know, just the latest happenings, right? So that when they are working on a story related to higher ed, related to U of L, you know, she's one of the first people that come to mind. So I just think relationship building is so vital, especially in this space, in order to, um, you know, get the story out there that we want to. Mm-hmm. Well, I can certainly support uh, on on several occasions. I was doing, um, uh, I had a medical school as a client, and they were working on some pretty important uh, uh, projects. So what I did was because the medical school, like of others, they 
pretty much just send out the press releases and uh, mm-hmm. I, you know cross their fingers. So I decided mm-hmm. that we were actually going to have a tour. Uh, we got the reporter up there, there, and two editors and a photographer to come into the lab so they can see, touch, and sort of kick the tires on this thing and better mm-hmm. understand what was going on. And as a result right. of that, I think probably in about three or four days, we got a front page on that one. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the other thing that I did was to, uh, what I have is, was a media directory too. You know, so if you want to talk to somebody about, uh, uh, let's say, psychology or physiology, here are the people that, that, that you can, can talk to and, and hear some of their background. Uh, or whatever the science is and who is, whoever are in those various departments, putting that together, and, you know, work out the process for calling. They go through you to get it lined up. But these are the people because you're right. Reporters don't want to have to look for and track people down. They want to know who can I call to get this done. So I exactly. said the, those first face-to-face meetings, but also here's a booklet for all of the uh, 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 experts in, in our particular college. And here are the subject matters and so forth and so on. And then you've got to have a meeting with those people, those those professors, to let them know if you get a call from a reporter, you've got to respond. Exactly. And that's something that, you know, I guess that could be considered a challenge, too, sometimes. Um, you know, faculty, they're so busy. You know, they're teaching and they're working on research and just doing scholarly projects that they may not always be aware that a reporter wants to speak with them right now. You know, it's time-sensitive. And so just making sure that they understand that, um, I think it's been very helpful. And like you said, too, creating kind of a, a, a list that reporters can refer to on a particular topic. They can reach out to, you know, that specific faculty member. That's something that we've done as well. And I find that that's been extremely helpful for both us and for the reporter. Well, yeah, you're absolutely right, because one of the things before I went and developed that uh uh, that handout was I talked to all the professors in a particular department, whether it's physics or whatever it happened to be, to find out one, are you interested in doing this? Because yep. first, if they're not interested, then let's not bother with with that one. Let's move on to somebody else. Because now we know that uh, we've got this list of people who are, are interested. Now let's get them together and explain what that process is. You know, it's not. Mm-hmm. It's about being able to get your perhaps some of your work mentioned in the media, or you can comment on other things in your arena so that your name is mentioned and the university's name is mentioned. So it's exactly. it's building those kind of relationships and how do we help make that happen? You know, if you need to come, as I said, come into the laboratory and see so we can explain things to you. Fine, we'll we'll work that out. But again, it's that that relationship and making sure that the reporter can understand it, so then they in turn can explain it to um, uh, to their uh, uh, their audience. Exactly, and I have an example of that. Um, late last year, when I was reaching out to reporters, I just started working at LSA, and I really just wanted to build uh, familiarity with them. And there was one reporter who worked um, at the Hessinger Report um, who collaborated with NPR. And I had actually worked with him months prior when I worked um, at a different unit within U of M. And he said he was interested in connecting with students from rural communities and first-generation students. And so I kept that in mind, and we had an announcement um, of a program that we were launching called the Kessler Scholars Program, 
which provides wraparound financial, academic, and social support for students who are first generation. And so I remembered that and I reached back out to him and said, hey, you know, we have this program launch. Would you be interested in connecting with, you know, the program coordinators and the students? And he said, you know what, as a matter of fact, I would. And I want to actually come out there and visit Mm -hmm. and shadow some of the students for three days. And so he came out there along with um, a reporter from NPR. And for three days, they shadowed students. They went to their dorm rooms. They uh, went to them on lunch. Um, they actually sat down, had a Q&A style conversation with them. And we ended up getting a media placement out of that um, a month later. So yeah, I definitely agree that relationship building is just key and being able to maintain that relationship is key as well. Well, another thing that uh uh, that happened, and uh, you know, maybe sort of, sort of getting to the tail end of things here. But when I was on Capitol Hill, uh, a lot, of, and this was a few years back, there was something going on, or in the process beginning to go on, that the United States was going to build. It was called a superconducting super collider. This is mm-hmm. going to be a very massive piece of uh, scientific uh, equipment that they had to act, actually had to dig a huge space in the ground, I don't know, maybe a couple of miles in circumference, so forth and so on, and then they would spin these atoms and they would bang into each other and release this, that, and the other, and all for the uh, benefit of mankind. Well, the problem that happened was when it came time to explain exactly what this thing did and how it could benefit people, they assigned scientists to it. Well, the scientists explained it in scientific terms. So for general public said, uh, uh, okay, <laughs> what, what does all that mean to me? Well, the right. bottom line was when the time came up at the time, the, you know, the, the government was saying, hey, wait a minute, we've got a little problem here. We've got to, uh, we've got to trim some budgets here. What are some of the programs that, that we really just don't need? Mm-hmm. Well, unfortunately, the superconducting super collider didn't make the cut because nobody explained to them them being the general public and the budget cutters, exactly how this is going to benefit the, the people in the U.S. and the world. So it got cut, mm. gone. But because okay. I, because but it how because it actually did do a great job. I think they wind up building the thing over in Switzerland, and and it is doing what it was intended to do. But there are some people over there who who better understood what it could do, how it can do it, and why we needed to move forward on it. So. You're absolutely right. Some very well-deserving projects can go south simply because somebody didn't explain it the right way. Yeah, explanation is key. You have to explain it so that, you know, the public can understand it and reporters can write about it. That's right. What's in it for me? Answer the so what Mm -hmm. question. What is in it for me? Exactly. Well, Brittany, this has been a very, very enlightening and uh, enjoyable conversation. I am so glad that you were able to join us today. Thank you again for having me. This was a great conversation. I hope I was able to provide some insight for you. Well, you certainly did that. So let me say thank you again to Brittany Smith at the uh, University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And let me encourage again all of our listeners to the Public Relations Review to uh, Continue listening and let your your friends and neighbors know as well. Thank you so much and join us for the very next edition. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. 
Thank you for joining us. Thank you.